The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Clerical Conversations. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and joining me today is His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us. Hello, Stephen. Today we are going to be talking about tithing, Trump, and charities, which is to say this is going to be all about money, Your Excellency. <laughs> all right. Um and I suppose it, it's one of those things that we, we have to talk about. I, I tell people that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, worth listening to Bishop Sanborn's seminary uh, sermons when he, when he um, goes around promoting the seminary. And there's a reminder to everyone that, you know, uh, he's getting old. Father Chikata's, you know, going to be going blind soon and that we need new priests, and we have to give money to the seminary. And I suppose giving money to the seminary, it's not a difficult sell. I think people see what that is. But strangely, I feel that it's a more difficult sell to get people to just contribute for the regular old boring weekly collection. And I wanted to start by asking, let's start with what's required. Uh, When we say tithing in the church, what's required? Well, the word tithing comes from a word which means 10%. And traditionally, the 10% of gross income was what you should give to the church. That's what the ancient Jews had to give for the support of the Levites, the Levites, uh, who were the essentially the uh, sacristans of the temple. And uh, they didn't have any land. They were not given any land in in the promised land, but they had to be supported by the 10% tithes of the other tribes. That's where that comes from. And so the traditional norm was 10% of gross income, not of net, but of gross income. Uh, And uh, so, but is that the law? No, that is not the law. What, What is the law is that you have to give to the church in accordance with your means, you know, which uh, is uh, a broad thing. Um, you have to, uh, uh, you know, obviously a, a poor family that is just getting by is not obliged to give as much as somebody who has a lot of excess. See, the the idea of the church concerning money and goods is that excess ought to be given away. Uh, you know, if it's excess, you don't need it, and and uh, you, you, what purpose is it for you? And and it should be used for a good purpose. Money should be used for a good purpose, not not to buy frivolous 
silly things that, you know, not simply to burn a hole in your pocket, uh, you know, buying, you know, crazy things, but uh, it should be used for a good purpose. So uh, now everyone also has a state in life. See, so uh, that means according to your education, background, class, etc., you might have a high or low state in life according to what you do in life. So, uh, you know, typically, uh, uh, you know, a, a lawyer or a doctor is going to have a higher state in life than, say, somebody who might work at the factory. And uh, that means that he is entitled to, well, let's say a more comfortable life, uh, one in which uh, a life that uh, expresses his state in life, uh, the dignity of his state in life, uh, as opposed to somebody who comes from you know a lower state of life. Uh, so it, um, uh, or, or you know, even heads of state and and so forth, they they should be enjoying things that that other people do not enjoy because their state in life should be surrounded by certain comforts and luxuries which indicate their state. So those are all ingredients into what you should give. So the, say, the doctor is not required to reduce himself to living in a a two-bedroom apartment in order to give away all his excess money, what would be excess at that point. Uh, No, he can and should live more comfortably according to his state in life. Uh, and, uh, and conversely, the, you know, the, the, uh, say someone who works in a factory should not aspire to the state in life that, that pertains to people of a higher rank in the, in the order of what they give to society. A medical doctor gives a greater, uh, good to society than, than say somebody that works in the factory. And it's nothing against people who work in the factory. It's just that there is an inequality and a gradation of state in life. And so for that reason, uh, to assign, you know, a figure to someone requires a lot of considerations, what they should be giving. Uh, uh, and so, so a Catholic family wouldn't be... just, they wouldn't just look at their income and say, you know, I make 20000 a year, uh, 10% gross is 2000 I should give 2000 to the church this year. That isn't a rule of thumb? It's a rule of thumb, but it might be subject to many considerations. If somebody making $20,000 a year has eight children, he shouldn't be giving away that much to the church. You see, he needs to, you know, save his money. And the priest would be the first one to tell him that. <laughs> that uh, and uh, conversely, uh, the person who's making $5 million a year should give more than 10% of his income because it's you know in almost all cases that would be excess he's making too much money in the sense that he has excess and he should do good things with that excess not just pamper himself in luxuries uh that that, that's not in accordance with the will of god it should be remembered that everything belongs to god all of the goods of the earth belong to god and money is a way of representing the goods of the earth. And so the, the, ultimately your money belongs to God. And we have a responsibility to use money well. And we should not waste it. We should not, as I said, pamper ourselves in unnecessary things. Uh, it, it should all be in accordance with state and life and 
with our either our necessities or legitimate comforts. See, so, you know, to say 10% across the board is, it's just a rule of thumb. You know, it, it's uh, if somebody's very average and making an average salary and uh, and is able to do that without significant trouble to his his state in life, then yes, he should give 10%, yes, of gross. Right, and I was just uh, doing the math there. That's roughly uh, 160 bucks a month, so roughly $40 every Sunday. Uh, yeah. Someone who would, would even just be making 20000 a year. And obviously, I, I'm just using that example. But I, I remember, recall, Your Excellency, when you've given other sermons uh, on tithing in general, you've made the point that, you know, even when the church was thriving, a lot, a lot of the greatest burden was was borne by the broadest shoulders. That a lot of the wealthy families did step up, and a lot of time churches got built, seminaries got built, monasteries got built, shrines got built because a few wealthy benefactors stepped up to make it happen. That's correct. The uh, the big churches, uh, in most cases, were paid for by in great part by. Uh, big benefactors, uh, you know, a, a few big benefactors. There's a magnificent church in Los Angeles that was put up practically exclusively by one family. I forget the name of it, but it's a magnificent church, uh, and uh, that that is true. Uh, when you in the, when you come in at the Venice uh, into Venice, uh, the train station, you you come out of the train station, you see a church across the street, and that is San Sim, Sim, Simone San Simone Piccolo. And that was erected in the 1700s by one family. Beautiful church, columns in the front, dome, everything. Uh, uh, it would cost millions of dollars to put it up now. Uh, that was put up by one family in thanksgiving to God because their son came back from the war unscathed. Hmm. And, and you know, so yes, uh, the uh, the big families, in the sense, you know, the richer families are the ones that put up, uh, you know, some the magnificent churches in general. Although they say St. Patrick's Cathedral was built by the by the Irish maids. <laughs> that, hmm. that they uh, that's it was always what I heard in New York that it that it, you know the they they were all maids in the in rich families, the Irish coming over in the 19th century, and that they. They put up St. Patrick's Cathedral by saving their their money and and giving to it. You know all all of the Irish in New York. No, so, it might have been. Uh, it might have been. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's and it's not to, in any way, disparage the small giving of many people because, uh, you know, a little bit from a lot of people helps a lot too. And uh, the uh, so they shouldn't say, well, you know, some rich people will come along and build it. Now they have to reach down into their pockets if they want to see something built, and they have to sacrifice, and uh, because they're going to enjoy it. You know, if you want to go to mass in a church, somebody's got to pay for that. If you want to see the priest come to your church, somebody's got to support him. You know, it's it's unfortunately, you know, these these. We're, we're composed of body and soul, and so so are priests, so are churches. In a sense, you know, they're they're composed of material things, and uh, money then always intervenes, uh, even in in spiritual things. And, and it's interesting, your money money is 
all in and around the Gospels. We've got everything from, uh, you know, a fish having a coin to Matthew giving, you know, the money as a tax collector to. I'm always fascinated with the story of the rich young man, this idea that mm -hmm. possessions would would hold him so tightly that he would, would miss out on an opportunity to, to be with our Lord over over money, over possessions. And uh, it is something I think it's really important for us to keep in mind is I think sometimes Catholics just are, we're, we're not held to account on, on our tithing. I think it's something that we really need to take seriously and, and uh, our clergy need our support. Well, all Catholics have to do is take a, a tour of their neighborhood or their region that they live in and look at all the Protestant churches. And they are built by people who come up with a lot of money to put up those churches. Even the modest ones. I mean, it costs a lot of money to even put up a, a modest church. It might cost $750,000 or, you know, by the time you buy the land, by the time you, you uh, get somebody to draw the plans and all of the approvals, and then building it uh, to build today is about $150 a square foot, at least in Florida. So if you're building even a church of, say, 3,000 square feet, you know, just do the math. That's not a big church. Do the math. Right, and that's, and, not, that's uh, not accounting for pigs and gators either. Yes, and it's not accounting for the land and not accounting for all the approvals and the, the drawings and all of that, which really runs up, really runs up. And then there's, like everybody else, we have electricity and utilities to pay for. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's not, doesn't come out of the air. It comes out of somebody's pocket. And, uh, so, you know, they, they, uh, have to realize that. And, uh, many Catholics do. And many, especially traditional Catholics, are extremely generous. Uh, there's a few that are not. But I would say, in my experience, the average person coming to our masses is quite generous. Now, I've been using the word tithe to talk about money, Your Excellency. Is it fair to use the word tithe to talk about giving our time to the church? So uh, I reflected in a, in a recent article referring to when I talk, talked about your visit, and that I mentioned that there's people who take care of the flowers, there's people who, who vacuum, clean the church, there's people who at um, Most Holy Trinity who take care of landscaping. Uh, people who take care of linens. Obviously, at the seminary, you have uh, seminarians doing that, but in other parishes, they're not seminarians to take care of those kinds of things. So, um, can we can we say that we we tithe our time, or would we just use a different term for that? Well, that would be in the broad sense, because uh, no matter how many linens you iron, that doesn't pay the electric bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, it does help the priest, though, and it does free the priest for other things. Because he would have to do those things. Uh, and uh, so it also, but I would say it's tithing in as much as it's very meritorious to give your time for the glory of God in his own house. Uh, to, to care for the house of God is very meritorious, whether it's singing in the choir, which, you know, is a greater participation in the Mass, or serving the Mass, or cleaning the church, or... Uh, painting, all of the things, uh, working on the linens, the flowers, uh, that, that's all in, you know, it's ex an extension of the priesthood. Uh, that all belongs to the worship of God, which is the function of the priest, and you are participating in his priesthood, 
when you do those things, that's very meritorious. Um, you know, that, that, that takes years off of purgatory uh, to be ironing linens. Uh, you know, if a woman could go go to God saying, "Well, I've ironed a thousand purificators, or maybe more, you know, ten thousand purificators," uh, that, that's uh, you know, it, it, it's it's it pertains directly to God. It's the first commandment. So uh, yes, uh, we, and we're always looking for people to help. Another, I would say, Catholics tend to be remiss in helping at church. Protestants do it much more. Catholics, I think, especially the older ones, are used to the fact that there were always nuns around. There were always uh, they were in big parishes when uh, you know you, you would always find somebody to do it. They had big collections; they could pay somebody to do it. Uh, and but that doesn't exist anymore. We're you know, pretty much hand to mouth in what we do, and mm-hmm. uh, and we we're not dealing with the, the numbers. Uh, that we used to have, and also people live at distances from the church, which makes it more difficult too. They might be 25 miles away, and or more, 50 miles away, even more. I can think of some people that come here. Well, and I, I was thinking, in, if we think in terms of tithe being 10 percent, we have 168 hours in a week, so 10 10 percent of that would be 16.8 hours. I don't think you're asking anybody to give 16 hours of the week to the church. No. But um, I thought even no, a one tiny per- percentage, even to come over for a few hours. On Saturday, right, one percent, one percent would be a little under two hours. So, and I yes. think that that's quite reasonable. I mean, that that's a matter of cleaning the church. That's a matter of uh, laundering. Let's say uh, any anything that needs to be laundered, uh, tidying up. Uh, if you're at Most Holy Trinity, um, you have Bishop Sanborn's very exacting standards when it comes to flowers. So every Every parish has has different things that 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 need to be taken care of. Um, this leads me into my next point, Your Excellency. I, I think sometimes uh, people either don't think of the church or don't uh, don't volunteer to help at the church, but they've not got no problem helping. Let's say at the animal shelter, or at the homeless shelter, or with some charity. Now, obviously, you know. There's there's nothing wrong with taking care of animals, but can can we can we say that you you really shouldn't be helping at an animal shelter if you're not helping at your church? Am I being too hard by saying that? I'd say this that the church takes precedence over the animals, uh, even over other charities that might have your attention. The, the the it's the first commandment of God, and. But Catholics tend to think that the church takes care of itself. That you show up on Sunday, you put money in the basket, and that's everything takes care of itself after that. Uh, and uh, it doesn't. <laughs> there's there's a tremendous amount to do to keep the altar in its proper condition, to keep the church in its proper condition. It's a building just like anything else. It needs paint. It needs repair. Uh, and and uh people should give primarily to the church their time if there's other time they could give it to charities uh, i would put this proviso on animal shelters that let it not become the animal religion that we have today it's one thing to help the you know the poor little doggies and kitties and whatnot but the you know it has become a religion uh and, and some sort of cult of animals 
and it's way, way, I mean, way overboard. Uh, and uh, it, it, they have to avoid that. Uh, and with other charities, they should make sure that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. And many times there's a hidden wrong, such as something that might be cooperating in abortion or some other uh, naturalistic uh, endeavor of the UN or something like that, or some of these general charities. You just don't know where the money's going or what they're doing. Uh, and and you have to be very careful about cooperating in something that you shouldn't be cooperating in. And a lot of those charities are, are into the wrong thing. Uh, and um, so you have to examine if they are, and therefore, if they are, you don't want to participate in them. There's a great tendency to naturalism in those charities. And uh, there's a tendency, you know, to promote artificial birth control and a, or abortion or other other things that are are completely unacceptable. Right, and and why do all that due diligence to figure out whether this charity is doing anything bad when you can just give the money to the church? I suppose, again, I I making maybe taking a simplistic view of it, but um, you know, in our times, these are very evil times. Uh, we want to get the mass to as many people as possible. We want to make sure our priests are well supported. You know, is there really any other charity that that uh, can demand our our money and our time more than our local traditional mass? I would say no, because we're dealing in a very unusual time, and that is a time of of spiritual warfare, and a time of spiritual survival in this warfare uh, against the errors, the modern errors, and what has happened to our church. Uh, we have to, in a sense, rebuild from the rubble. Our church has been has been reduced to rubble, you know, practically, and we have to rebuild from the rubble. You see pictures of Germans after the bombing of Berlin and after Berlin surrendered and all in 1945, just completely surrounded by rubble. There's not a single building that you could inhabit, and it's an image of of the condition of the church. And they are outworking, building up their Berlin again, you know, the, the German people just, well, you know, they have to build it up again, and they did. And uh, that, that's that's what we have to do. We have to, there's so much to build that we, we want schools, we want uh, churches, of course, we want uh, seminaries, we want uh, religious brothers, we want retreat houses. We, All of these things need to be built, and all of these people need to be trained. We have to to make a whole Catholic life for people, and that requires an extraordinary and heroic effort, both with time and money. And so Catholics should concentrate on that and let other people, let all the pagans worry about the animals. I mean, they have nothing else to do in the sense that, you know, they don't go to church, they don't have any religion at all. Yeah, the, and, the, the, homosexual, they, the homosexuals will take care of them. They're not having any children, so they'll right, take care of all the know, pets. Uh, you know, I think there's plenty of people out there that can contribute to uh, uh, natural, what I would call natural, not necessarily naturalistic, but natural good things to do, like like homeless shelters or uh, hospitals, volunteering in hospitals. But there again, you have to be careful about what you're cooperating in. 
or nursing homes. And again, be careful that there's no euthanasia going on. Uh, all sorts of uh, pitfalls today. It's getting worse and worse and worse. The, the morality is, is disintegrating. And, and Catholics cannot cooperate in, in the current immorality and abandonment of morality. Well, so those are those are ongoing concerns. What about special events, Your Excellency? So over, and I I, I think I know your answer here, but I, I I need to clarify because some of our listeners may not know. Again, some of our listeners have come over from the Novus Ordo. They're they're new to to our way, uh, you know, our traditional Catholic way of looking at things. When we think about things like the March for Life in the United States in Washington D.C., rosaries outside abortion clinics. Are, you know, are these things uh, that we should be participating in? Why or why not? It's certainly legitimate to participate in them. Uh, it's a worthy cause to try to stop abortion. Uh, the only proviso, uh, the only two provisos that I would put on it. One is that you not see abortion as the worst problem that we are facing. It is a terrible problem. But it is not the worst problem. The worst problem is lack of faith. Well, no, I, the, I was going to say, Eric, let's see, it's the loneliness of old people and, and the unemployment of, of the young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Let's get our priorities in order. <laughs> right. uh, the reason we have abortion is because of what happened in the Catholic Church. Had the Catholic Church not undergone Vatican II, the bishops, I am certain, would have stopped that horrid crime in this country and all the other countries in which they had any influence at all. But the, the morality has been relativized, and there, there are even nuns who believe in abortion, and it's all subjectivistic and relativistic. And so all of the strength of Catholicism was sucked out of so many people. And, and so the, it's bad ideas which bring about bad actions. And and it is the, the the bad idea of abortion that brings abortion. So you know, I just see some people a little obsessed by that, as if that is the main problem of the world. It is not the main problem of the world. Yes, it is a terrible problem, but it is not the main problem of the world. The the second proviso that I would put on it is that they not compromise with those who accept abortion. And I'll explain that. If you say, I'm against abortion, except in cases of rape and incest, that means you're in favor of abortion. You're in favor of abortion, but less abortion than, say, somebody, you know, uh, a radical on the Supreme Court or something. You see, that, that, but you're in favor of abortion. You also destroy all of the argument against abortion if you admit exceptions to it. The whole thing falls apart. It, because if there are exceptions to the natural law, the right to life, you can say, well, once in a while you can murder a baby. Uh, then, then any sufficient reason, according to logic, would be, would be sufficient to say, well, in this case I can murder my baby. So they have to be very careful not to step into those traps and not to associate with people who are pro-abortion but just pro-less abortion, that's all. Pro-fewer abortions 
than than others. And you know, there's a lot of politicians who make that 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 uh, exception. And and you know, it's and I I think that the the pro-abortion people must rejoice when they hear it because they know that it argues entirely in favor of what they're saying. What about uh, praying? If we're praying outside of the the abortion clinic, Your Excellency, and and my and my fellow uh, people who are standing outside, they want to pray the luminous mysteries. You know, what what do we do then? There is a general prohibition of praying with non-Catholics. There are some exceptions, like uh, you know, oh, uh, saying grace or something like that, but. I would say that that you're that you're you, know, you should not be praying the rosary with with Novus Ordites. You know, so you would uh, discourage you would discourage participation in in those sorts of activities. Yes, because it gives the impression that you're all of one religion, and you're not. See, if I see a bunch of people saying the rosary, I'm going to think, well, that you know they're all of the same religion. They're praying together, which is a sign of being of the same religion. I think sometimes it's people grasping for the one normal thing. They're so used to be being considered outcasts and quote-unquote not regular Catholics, and it's their opportunity to sort of quote-unquote feel normal. So so they, 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 they like doing this sort of thing. Yeah, perhaps I think it's a failure to understand the Novus Ordo as a different religion. They they still retain the name Catholic, and that is sufficient for traditional Catholics to say, "Well, they're still Catholic." They're not Catholic. They they have not been thrown out of the church. It is true, because there's no hierarchy to do it. But they adhere to to ideas. Uh, we just saw with Bergoglio, uh, fornication and adultery, that those things are legitimate, uh, and that are not Catholic. These are not Catholic doctrines. They are, they are, they are heretical doctrines. Uh, and, but, you know, they claim the name Catholic, and they have some Catholic devotions, and they're probably conservative because they're against abortion. You know, and, and I think it's a failure to understand what the Novus Ordo is. It's a new and false religion that has been forced upon our Catholic institutions and has wrecked them. And the only way to fight it properly is to treat it as a new and false religion and to treat those who are in it as non-Catholics. I think that's really important, Your Excellency, and I think we have to have a paradigm shift so that people understand that more and more. Uh, I know for me it was very hard when I first came out of the Novus Ordo to, to, to see it that way, but as years have gone by, uh, and and more and more, the longer the time had been that I hadn't stepped inside for a Novus Ordo service, the the clearer it was to me that it wasn't. In the beginning, when I had still gone to a Novus Ordo service recently, it, it was harder to see that, but with time, people may be able to see that more clearly. Mm-hmm. The, the last thing I want to talk about in today's episode, Your Excellency, is it's Donald Trump. Uh, when you were visiting Europe, uh, in, in at least two of the countries you visited, I heard people ask you about this man. And obviously, the election of a U.S. president is always, frankly, a pretty big deal these days, but uh, never more so perhaps in recent years than, than with this. Um, 
what do you say to people both inside and outside the United States about this this sort of Trump phenomenon? What does it what does it represent to you? And uh, what do you think it means broadly for us as Catholics? Well, I think that no one deserves the term of mixed bag more than <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> I think that's the best description of Donald Trump. He's a mixed bag. There, He says a lot of good things, but he says a lot of bad things, too. And I think he represents a lot of bad things. Uh, the, uh, if we look at the good first, I, I think that he understands that Washington is broken, uh, that the establishment parties in Washington are self-preserving, self-feeding, uh, entities that cannot function properly and that they need to be dislodged. And, and you know, there's something that needs to be done about Washington. And, and I think he is showing the anger of a great many people concerning Washington. I, I think that's true. Uh, I think that he is uh, concerned about the general uh, uh, bad condition of the military. Uh, and he wants to build up the military. I, I completely agree with him on that. Uh, I think that uh, he he wants to, uh, he's vague, but I think he wants to do something about the debt, which I think is perhaps the biggest single threat to this country, is the the debt that it has. I mean, it, it has all of the elements of a general economic catastrophe within the next 10 years uh, if something is not done about that debt. So, you know, I think he has some sort of idea of that, although he's vague in his, his positions, you know, and, and he moves around a lot. Uh, it's something like electing a king. I mean, you don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Today he's this, tomorrow he's that. I mean, that, that we're getting into the bad about Trump, and that is, you know, where is he? And uh, vague positions that are, are, you know, shift with the sands and the winds. And um, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's from a very liberal background. Uh, he's uh he was giving to all sorts of liberal entities and persons uh, up to as late as 2014 i mean his his credentials as as someone who is conservative is very very poor uh, and you know the the suspicion is that he is riding the conservative wave uh, uh in order to get elected and the suspicion is that you know this is the final jewel in his crown to be president of the United States. I mean, he has everything else. So why not be president? You know, <laughs> that's uh, at least a suspicion, you know. So uh, he's interventionist. Uh, that is, you know, the, the United States should be the policeman of the whole world and bomb everybody that disagrees with us. And yet, on the other hand, he says we should uh, reduce NATO because the Europeans should defend themselves. And I agree with that. Europe is on a free ride and has been for a long, long time. And they're still living in the shadow of World War II when the United States said, we'll protect you from the Russians. And their militaries are, are practically nothing. And therefore, they can build up all of their infrastructure. And, and you know, they, they, they you know, just spend a fraction of what we spend on, on military. And with the idea that they can call the, you know, use the red phone if somebody's attacking them and we'll go and bomb them. 
And and that has to stop. Europe has to to come up to its responsibilities. So I, I agree with that. I, you know, I, when I hear him speak, you know, sometimes I think, yeah, I'm totally in agreement. Other times I think, oh my goodness, you know, I totally disagree. Uh, so I would say he's a mixed bag. He's certainly a a go getter. Uh, I think he would be efficacious. I think he would deal with the Congress very very efficaciously. And would not back down. Uh, you know, I, I think, and I, I think that's necessary. Uh, I think that he would uh, give them a lot of trouble, if, you know, depending on what Congress he had. But you know, he would be a real president in the sense that he would be a person that would take the reins of power, uh, and uh, he would probably surround himself with intelligent people to advise him. I would guess that too, because he, you know, he obviously is a man of intelligence. Um, and and accomplishment, there's no doubt about it, you know. But then you know you have his vanity, which is, is so apparent, and, and you know his motor mouth, uh, where he says things that he doesn't think about. <laughs> he just says whatever comes out of his mouth. Um, he backed off of something that was very reasonable. He said there was a question put to him about abortion: that if abortion were made illegal, should the women who seek abortions be punished. And he said very reasonably, yes, there should be some form of punishment. And then, of course, there was the uproar, and he backed off of it, which I, which disappointed me, because he says, I will not be politically correct. But he backed off because of political correctness. and okay. said, oh, no, the doctor should be punished. <laughs> well, who, who hires the doctors but the mothers? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it made perfect sense to say in that hypothetical case, who is breaking the law? It's not, the doctors are hired to do it. And so in many when, cases, those doctors might be females themselves. So it looks like he may eventually become the Republican nomination. We're recording this in April. It's still not clear uh, that that's going to be the case, but given his, his moral life, uh, he's on marriage number three. Uh, he's mm-hmm. flip-flopped on abortion in the past. Is this a candidate that a Catholic can vote for? Uh, and I, I suppose the second question is, is, does it matter, ultimately? Well, the rule is that you may vote for the lesser of two evils, but you are not obliged to. All right, so as I have always said, based on that, I don't care if the Republican Party puts up a dog <laughs> a dog. I am going to vote for the dog in order to keep the Clinton woman out of the White House. All right. So, but you're free to do whatever you want. I would say, no matter what, you're looking at evils. I mean, even, I mean, no matter who, all of the people that were up had something <laughs> undesirable about them. You know, there was nobody that was perfect, and and they were far from perfect. Uh, so there's something wrong with every single person that was up on those stages for the original, you know, the nine or ten that were running it originally. There was something wrong with each of them. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, you're always looking at that. It's a very imperfect system, and it, it's uh, it's based on imperfect principles. And, you know, it just uh, there's a lot of bad thought out there, you know, and, and which contributes to bad policy and bad actions and uh, a lot of weakness and the good. You notice how the Democrats always push through all of their stuff 
and then the Republicans come along and just sit on that. They never pull it back. That they, they, all of the, all of the reforms are pushed through by, by Democrats and liberal Republicans, and then you get a conservative in, and then nothing happens. And it, it, you know, it's it, the all of the agenda has has been accomplished, and then nothing happens. They just sit on it and try to prevent further damage by liberals. That's well, all they can lay claim to. Someone, someone I know might refer to them as accommodationists, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, you know the. The, the the political world of the United States is very bad right now. It's very very bad, and and the nation is going downhill quickly. And uh, you know, I think in the next uh, twenty thirty years is headed for a major disaster. That's my opinion, in in all respects. So we need to focus on the important things like tithing, volunteering. Uh, your time at your parish and going to mass, saying the rosary and improving your spiritual life. Yes, those are the things, uh, you know, people become obsessed with uh, politics. If I were to give a show on politics, you know, if I were to say I'm going one of the, instead of Francis watch, we're going to do Trump watch or something like that. Oh, goodness. We're going oh, to talk well, about who to vote for. Uh, yeah, our, probably... our servers would melt down. Our servers would melt down. <laughs> right. You know, that would be so interesting to so many people. You know, what Bishop Sanborn or Father Chikata think about, about the political situation. And really, it doesn't, it's all going to pass away. It's not something we can fix. We are too small to fix it. And we should concentrate on, yes, building our churches, forming our priests, working on our spiritual lives, volunteering at our, our local parish. Uh, and that means your traditional parish, and and helping the priests, uh, raising your children properly. Uh, it, it, sometimes people get so involved in all of the issues, like abortion, you know, which is a legitimate thing, but they devote so much time to issues that they neglect their families, and and the children are not well raised. Uh, uh, it, you know, it becomes almost an obs- uh, obsessive hobby for them. All of these issues that they're involved in. There, there is. Uh, it is so. The situation is so bad that traditional Catholics are not going to change it, and they have to understand that. A lot of young people say, "I want to go into politics." I said, "What are you crazy? <laughs> you know, it, they, it's just uh, you're just going to be corrupted by that whole thing. There's the, the very principles on which it is founded are are, are you know wrong." And you you just avoid it, you know. Do something else. Uh, um, I always say that uh, I always have a great admiration for those who collect garbage, because they really render a great uh, a great boon for society. Imagine if there, nobody came and picked up the garbage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, so I I always hold that out as a higher state in life than becoming a politician. So oh, uh, I know we we feel the pain here whenever they go on strike in Paris, Your Excellency. It, it really <laughs> raises it really raises a stink. No, no pun intended. Uh, want, I think it would be a wonderful job because you don't take it home with you. <laughs> <laughs> there are days when I think, you know, with all the stuff I have to do, I think it'd be great just to go out and put the cans in the truck and then go home. You know? Sure, sure. <laughs> 
of course, I'm kidding, but you know, there's a point you know, when you're very, very involved with many, many things. And get, you know, we never go away from it. You know, we're we're working. We work probably maybe 12 to 16 hours a day, priests, with very few days off. Most people don't realize that. Well, and, we go and the whole day and into the night. And speaking of that valuable time, I'm I'm going to have to close out the episode to give his his excellency some some time on his own. Uh, we want to remind you, you're listening to Clerical Conversations on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and today, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and I have been talking about tithing, charities, and Donald Trump. As we close out this episode, we want to ask His Excellency, well, first, we want to thank His Excellency for his time, but we want to ask, is there anything that you'd like to add before we finish the episode, Your Excellency? Uh, just first things first. Uh, people need to meditate on the problem in the church and order their lives according to the priorities of our time. I think that's solid advice. Thanks so much for your time, Eric Lee, and we look forward to having you on a future episode. Thank you very much. If you have any questions for His Excellency on this episode, feel free to write to questions at truerestoration.org. Clerical Conversations is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.